Hello. And welcome to Romantic Underpinnings, your collaboratively written historical romance novel podcast. My name is Andrew, and I'm one of the hosts. The other host is... Hello, I'm Ashton. This is episode 20. (laughs) Yes, it's been conjectured, but it is in fact chapter 20. Yes, because we write one chapter a week, we trade off. I, Andrew, write chapters from the perspective of the heroine of our novel. Ashton writes chapters from the perspective of the hero of the novel. They are respectively Agatha Van Horn and Anthony, I believe, Thatcher, but it's under dispute. (laughs) And um, our novel, as I mentioned, historical, takes place in 1690s, or 1690, I mean, our hero, well, one of our heroes is Dutch, but she is with an English sailing crew. Anthony is English, and he has been sent by the King of England to make mischief in France. And Anthony and Agatha are, you know, circling around the prospect of making mischief with each other as well. Agatha had been disguised as a man to join Anthony's crew, but that disguise fell apart several chapters ago at this point. And... They are making their way up the Seine to Paris, or toward Paris. I don't want to spoil anything or make any uh, jumps to conclusions. And I have written this latest chapter about what they're up to, which Ashton has not read because we read each other's chapters out loud for the first time while recording a podcast, which is something only the brave can accomplish. <laughs> all, right. all right. All right. Should I go? Are you ready? I am ready. However, our listeners need to know a couple of things. Our website is romanticunderpinnings.com. Oh. I thought you were doing the whole intro. I'm sorry. Our website's romanticunderpinnings.com. Our Twitter is at romunderpod. And our Instagram is also romantic at romanticunderpinnings. Nice. I do my very best. All right. I don't think there's anything else but for you to enjoy my prose. Let's explore language, romance, and resilience. And welcome to Romantic Underpinnings. Oh, I'm ready to enjoy them. Okay. Huh? My prose. I said them. I know, but prose is singular. Oh, it. Sorry. Okay. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. I mean, I guess I haven't really thought about it. Yeah. Like, you know, I could accurately say, you know, my prose is simple yet intricate with a lovely sheen that belies its turbulent depths. I would not say my prose are simple yet intricate with a lovely sheen that belies their turbulent depths. Anyway. Okay. My bad. Agatha had never been more grateful for her scratchy burlap hammock in the crowded, malodorous hold. She needed time to think, and the insularity of the hammock brought her back to Paramaribo, Back to that man she saw in the cafe earlier. Back to Jean Blanchet? Blanchet. Blanchet. My bad, people. Her father's old training partner and trading partner and drinking buddy. 
From what she'd overheard when forced to decorate the sitting room during their raucous gatherings, Blanchette, like that? Blanchet. Had his fingers in just about every licit and illicit good crossing. Illicit good goods crossing. Not every licit and illicit good. Oh, Jesus. I mean, I could have said all licit and illicit goods if I wanted to. No, I'm having, clearly I'm having trouble with plurality or something today. Crossing the Atlantic and beyond, he must have been on one of his rare trips back to his office in Paris to review his ledgers where rum, leather, and human lives sat side by side. She had always detested the man and had been thankful that he only visited Suriname. Suriname? Yeah. Every couple of years. She'd also been thankful to never see him again after her exile to England. But she should have known better than to believe that destiny had blessed her. The recollection of her encounter made her shiver, which elicited a complaint in the beam that held her hammock. Settle down, Peter. Even if there are ants crawling all over you, the rest of us have enough to worry about without your twitching. Lobo's voice didn't contain the sympathy that Agatha needed. Sailors constantly had to worry about their lives, their fortune, or venereal disease. But one one of the few things she thought she knew about sailors was that some of them chose this life to escape their paths. And now her past had accosted her over a plate of fine pastries just when things were going so well with Anthony. Sorry, boys, she mumbled. The rest of the crew mumbled a choice assortment of words under their breath and the sound of the river lapping at the hull returned to the foreground. Anthony had been sympathetic, his voice dripping with concern once he'd dragged the truth from her, and his desire to help had been so palpable as to feel suffocating. Agatha knew that his upbringing had been very difficult. Perfect teeth notwithstanding. (laughs) Seriously? (laughs) I love the fact that he has anachronistically great teeth yeah oh my god (laughs) but she also knew for that for all his privations 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 wow he wouldn't understand the feeling of being a father's property a poor man in england may only have bad choices available but a young woman had no choices at all not unless she had the good fortune to be widowed and well off Any number of her father's fellow merchants would have gladly taken her out from under her father's thumb. But despite how old and decrepit some of them were, she was never willing to gamble the joys of widowhood against the potential for years of even worse torment. Her flight from the English court and disguise as a man had been impulsive, but she had long known that it would take take such a radical change to give her a chance at a different life. Even with something going horribly wrong every couple of days, she'd become to see a future in the li- in a life at sea, and perhaps an- with Anthony. She knew that Anthony would do anything for her, and the last of his anger at her deception seemed to have evaporated when she saw the fear in her when he saw the fear in her eyes back in Rouen. Not having experience with people who wanted the best for her, she couldn't tell whether Anthony's solicitousness was genuine or whether he merely saw her as a puzzle piece that would fit into his life. The fit might be very snug, as were Anthony's arms, but she needed to approach this situation with a clear head. Merely brushing past him on the way out, 
merely brushing on the way out of his cabin thrilled her senses, and she was ultimately glad she made it out of the cabin without getting lost in his eyes and drowning into his kisses once again. He's really laying it on. Yeah. I mean, she's attracted to him. All right. She wants to kiss him. That's sort of like what happens. Oh, is that what happens? In these books, people want to kiss each other. <laughs> Just in these books, eh? I mean, also in real life, but very <laughs> specifically, like, these characters are not doing their jobs if they don't want to kiss each other. I know. <clears throat> how they earn their keep as yeah. people worth writing about. Other, Like, if they didn't want to kiss each other, they, these two souls would have been lost to the mists of history, never to be <laughs> uncovered by us. Perhaps that would have been for the best. <laughs> Well, they shouldn't have kissed so much. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> she didn't want to feel indebted to Anthony, lest that cloud her judgment as to his motives. Agatha swore to herself that no matter how restless and lonely she may feel without his touch, Anthony would have to wait until she either conquered her past or escaped from it much more comprehensively. She felt her hum hammock sway and discovered that this time, it was due to the entire ship jarring against something. She heard a raspy scraping against the hull. Everyone besides Anthony and Dipper had been ordered to stay below decks until the ship was safely hidden. After a tense few moments that had the rest of the crew sitting up in their hammocks and furrowing their brows at one another, Anthony came down the ladder. His usual tone of command had taken on a quiet urgency. Dipper has beached us on a forested bank. The tree branches overhang so far in the water that we might not be spotted unless somebody's looking very hard indeed. This isn't going to be easy, men, but our mission continues. For now, it continues without the ship. We're lucky that Loco appropriated some rubies along, the, along with the larger cargo. Half our stash should get us to Paris, and in Paris we should be able to steal enough to get us back to the ship and home. Remember, we're an honest crew, and crew stealing from the enemy is the most honest thing we can do. We also have to swindle them, deceive them, and possibly knock some of them over the head with oars. Can we do that? Is he giving like a football pump-up speech? Well, a quiet one with the quiet intensity, but oh, that's right. it's like, can we do that? Can we? He's rallying the troops. I know, but it, why? In a moment of peril. That's a peril and uncertainty. Why? And they're not really in the... peril. They, like, escaped fine. I mean, but they're, like, stashing the ship and striking out over land in enemy <laughs> territory with just, like, six dudes. You're painting a really, like, cinematic picture. Uh, yeah. I mean, this, you know, my favorite novels are the ones with epic sweep. I don't know what that is. I mean, it used to be in a lot of blurbs and novels like the 70s and 80s. I feel it was extremely popular for any literary fiction novel to take place over like 400 years and like mm. follow a family like from like the Black Death to the fucking <clears throat> boardrooms of 1980s London or whatever. And uh, it's not it's not like as big a deal anymore. I feel like literary fiction has decreased in scope a little bit. But um, I'm lifting that aspect of literary fiction into this genre fiction. And although it's very constrained in time and indeed personnel, and the stakes are, you know, fairly self-contained, it is nonetheless a book of epic sweep. Uh, that was sweepingly epic, all right. It's the only <laughs> way I know how to make things epic. 
Anthony winced. Can we do that quietly? Yes, sir, the men said quietly. Thank you, said Anthony. We haven't seen past the thick trees in the riverbank, but for all we know, there's a French army encampment 50 feet away from us right now, roasting snails over an open fire and buffing their uniform copes with horsehair brushes. <laughs> we'll need to strike out again on we'll need to strike out on foot and commandeer a barge or wagon to get to Paris. Pack only your essentials, men, and remember that any weapons are essential. Dun 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 Yep. <laughs> One man after another dropped from the rope ladder with a squelch at the riverbank. Agatha went last, holding the ladder with one arm while the other arm, sorry, other held her belongings in a bag over her shoulding. You know, <laughs> I've actually had a lot of typos and weird phrases you and repeated words and stuff, this. and you're not calling me out on them, so I'm glad you finally <laughs> held me accountable. You, I think I said the word hammock seven times. Hang on, hang on. I have it up right here. Uh, One, two, three. Well, so there were three in the first paragraph. (laughs) But then there were several paragraphs without it. And it was all, there are two more on the next page. But there's only five instances of the word hammock in this entire Google Doc. Seems like a lot. Well, (laughs) I probably could trim it, but it's not like I can like, pick a piquant synonym for hammock like you don't want to say like you know <laughs> agatha rustled in her hanging sleep apparatus why not her chrysalis was <laughs> concealing her from the rest of the crew while she muddled her brain oh my goodness all right see it i you know you want to talk synonyms all right well when you buy this book <laughs> there will an instance of the word chrysalis as a metaphor for hammock. <laughs> and you're going to be like, I remember I, when they decided <laughs> to do that. And it's going to feel amazing for you. I, I think it's really funny. No, I really like it. I'm going to do it. Just you watch. Oh my. Okay. Oofta. <clears throat> she brought minimal toiletries, a pen and paper, the last outfit worn by the fugitive Jean Delacroix. Delacroix. Dang, I almost had it that time. Lacroix, sweetie, Lacroix. <sighs> As she reached the last run before... Run before the bottom? Rung. Rung. It was supposed to be... Wait a minute. Is Rung. That... Yeah. Oh, whoops. Yeah, I totally typoed that one to hell and back. All right, go, go ahead. <laughs> she felt a strong arm lift her hamstrings from below. Her <laughs> hamstrings? Yeah, like... Just specifically... <laughs> Well, I didn't want him to think you like was grabbing her fucking calves or anything. It had to why be the back of say, her legs. Why don't you just say legs? I think I've been like doing too many YouTube workout videos. <laughs> like, too precise. Or, or thighs or something. Hamstrings is Hamstring. so weird. <laughs> just that muscle. Well, she's None of the rest of it. Hamstrung. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Oof to... Okay, Uh, Anthony, no. The jarring movement sent her tumbling backward off the ladder only to have her back land in another strong arm. What? He like, sort of like (laughs) hoisted her up from the legs, which, or hamstrings as the case may be, which sent her back tumbling away from the ladder. She lost her grip on it and then he caught her as she was falling off the ladder backwards. 
I don't think my amazing prose is very good at like <laughs> describing like physical interactions between people, which might become <laughs> like a problem later in the book. <laughs> yeah, that I couldn't picture that at all. Like, why don't you just say like her back foot slipped? Well, she had to fall backwards, not down. Otherwise, he couldn't have caught her the same way. And you have to catch her in her his arms, like. Oh, so you're just trying like to be carrying like her romantic. Across the well, yeah, he's yeah. trying to be romantic. I am just a humble scribe <laughs> explaining what happened. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Anthony, ankle deep in mud, carried Agatha up the steep bank and into the forest brush. The other man's men, some of them panting and all of them caked with mud, tried their best to suppress laughs as they reached the, watched the spectacle. Don't be chivalrous in front of the men, sir, Agatha hissed. Anthony still hadn't put her down, and her face was mere inches from his ear. Anthony tightened his grip. Don't you want me to be a model for those ruffians we're traveling with? He whispered back. Agatha could feel his breath hot against her collarbones. I am one of those ruffians, Anthony. I'm sure some sheltered merchant's daughter would find this situation very exciting and melt into your arms, breathless with passion and squirming with desire. But I'm not going back to that life. Not not for anything. <laughs> oh, no, that was a, that was a Freudian double, uh, double negative uh, when I had that typo. Anyway, continue. Oh, God. Much, uh, much less because you decided to play Walter Raleigh. Walter Raleigh. He was a uh, sailor and politician and mm. all around like fairly bad guy, probably uh, around the court of uh, Queen Elizabeth I. Most importantly, there's an apocryphal story about him having like laid his coat down over a puddle so ah, the queen could queen cross Elizabeth. it. Yeah, exactly. That's him. Huh. As she spoke, Agatha couldn't help but squirm slightly. Her her breath barely reached her throat, and yet she felt the heat of her own rise in her chest to meet Anthony's breath. What? And she felt heat of her own. You said and oh. yet. Oh. I, yeah, it didn't make sense. All right, sorry. And she felt the heat of her own rise in her chest to meet Anthony's breath. She glanced quickly to the rest of the men, who seemed tremendously interested in tree trunks and animal tracks. <laughs> I see, said Anthony. You've made yourself very clear, and the next time I want to make you breathless with desire, I'll approach you just like I would Charlie, or maybe Dipper. He gave one last squeeze of her leg and back before setting her down. Agatha stood on her toes to continue whispering to Anthony. That's better, she said, and who knows? I might like it. I feel this way because our bodies were close, not because I love the idea of being a helpless maiden. But I think we might have larger issues to deal with at the moment. <clears throat> As if on cue, Dipper scuttled over. There's a farmhouse just beyond the tree, sir, and it's at a 40 degree angle bearing from that rocky outcropping. Really? 40 degree bearing. I didn't say angle anywhere. 40 degree bearing. What is that? I just, I don't. I mean, it's like the kind of thing like a ship's navigator would say. And I am like. Did you make it up? I don't know if that's exactly how you use bearing, <laughs> but I actually think it might be. Okay. But the only problem is that I'm importing this not from any knowledge of sailing or even nautical fiction, but from Star Trek. It's the kind of thing they might say. <laughs> uh, 
But I think Star Trek was influenced by nautical terminologies, like calling the ships she and all that kind of stuff. Um, and anyway, like, I didn't want to go down a huge rabbit hole of researching nautical terms, but I thought it would be hilarious if on land, Dipper still would, like, just You're relentlessly, like, inappropriately just use nautical terms. Doesn't care. That's like, yeah. <clears throat> sure. Okay, there's a farmhouse just beyond the tree, sir, and at a 40-degree bearing from that rocky outcropping. There's smoke rising from the chimney, but I don't see any of those daft blue uniforms anywhere. Blue? Did the French wear blue? Um, They must have. I don't know if they did in 1690, but they wouldn't have worn... I I wanted to say red, but then the English were wearing red all the time. Right, we couldn't have been that. Yeah, I don't know. The French national soccer team wears blue, so I don't know why it wouldn't have been the army uniform 300 years before that. Sure. Yeah. All right. The other men had now crowded around. Anthony's voice lost its playful undercurrent and took an aspect of sheath steel. This is our chance, men. Can anyone ride a horse? That's the end. Yeah, that's the end. Can anyone ride a horse? Can they? That's up for you to decide when you write chapter 21 and then read it out loud. In the next episode of Romantic Underpinnings. No, you're going to read it out loud. Oh, Jesus. I'm going to read it out loud. Right? Yes, I am. (laughs) No, no, we have not changed the forecast of this podcast after 20 episodes. I am going to read it out loud. The forecast of the podcast is cloudy with a chance of meatball. Okay. (laughs) I meant the format of the pod, Matt. (laughs) Did you now? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, well, you had to have. Right? Clearly. I say what I mean, and I mean what I say. I don't always type what I mean and mean what I type, because um, there were some errors in this chapter. It it makes me feel slightly better to know that you had a few. Yeah, I want to go back to my hammock and cry about it, but I'm going to soldier on. Did you say that more than once? You must have, huh? Hammock? No, soldier on. Uh, not in this chapter, but it's the kind of thing I probably say too much. (laughs) Just in life? Yeah. Yeah. Is there, are there any other, I feel like normally we tease the next episode. Well, I wasn't ready for this at all. I mean, I think Agatha obviously knows how to fucking ride, but I don't think any of those other dock hands know how to ride. Yeah, I mean, maybe they don't steal any horses. I just assume there's horses to steal. There's probably some wagons that may be involved. Um, There's probably some uh, giant pumpkins that they can hollow out and humorously hide in as the farmers blunder around. (laughs) Don't know how this is going to work. The only thing I know less about than sailing is farming. (laughs) That's actually true. (laughs) I, I do know that people are always hiding in giant pumpkins <laughs> that they've hollowed out. <laughs> Only if it's Charlie Brown's farm. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's the the farm I know most about. Well, in the that world. is actually true. I don't know. I don't think it belongs to Charlie Brown. They just go there. No, I know. It's actually Charlie Brown in the pumpkin patch. It's not even. A, yeah. A, technically. Anyway. um, So they're going to do that. Maybe they're going to have to deliver like a newborn calf for some reason. I just like the idea of having these, like, you know, hardened sea salts have to get into a bunch of, like, r- rural hijinks. This is, like, the rural <laughs> hijinks part of the this book. Is the rural hijinks part. <laughs> rural. Dirt. 
<laughs> that phrase had crossed my mind as I was saying. I had it. I couldn't tell. <laughs> Anyway, but the nature of these rural hijinks are is up to you. The listeners will find out when I read it out loud for the first time in the next episode. And, you know, you might have them immediately get abducted by aliens and turn this into a sci-fi. That is within your rights. So, I mean, I tried to set some things up, but... I don't think either of us want that to happen, do we? I respond to the chapter... Which I am But I mean, like, I'm not going to turn it into sci-fi now. Well, if you don't, then I probably won't either. But all I'm saying is I... I think you should. I always write the most appropriate (laughs) follow-up to the chapter of yours that came before. Always? Always. Really? By definition. (laughs) (laughs) So you'd better not write a chapter that would necessitate a sudden swerve into science fiction, if that's not what you want. It's up to you. You know that's not what I want. Well, yeah, now I spoiled it for myself because my muse is going to be tainted by that knowledge. Whatever, you knew that before now. I could have guessed. Yeah. However, you are going to write what you deem necessary, then I'm going to write what I deem necessary, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and most importantly, the listener, the 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 who? Well, I almost said the listener, Listener. which is not strictly (laughs) accurate. It might be pretty close. <laughs> no, the listeners, the legions, the mobs of the listeners. Masses. Yes, the masses of listeners are going to enjoy it no matter what, because we're both so damn good at writing and we have such a phenomenal repartee. Mm, I suppose so. We should probably end the episode. <gasps> okay, fine. What did I decide last time? Did we do, do we like yours, et cetera, better or languidly? Um, maybe languidly, et cetera. <laughs> oh my God. That's good. Okay. Languidly, et cetera. Romantic underpinnings. The whole point is the sign up is that it's done after that. Well, if it's, no, because languidly or yours, etc., or any combination of the two are like the final thing in a letter before the signature. So, <laughs> so you're the signature and I'm the salutation. You well, know, you could also say languidly, etc., romantic underpinnings all yourself, but I think we do have to. No, I just want it, it to be over. All right, say it again. <laughs> languidly yours. No, it's languidly, etc. Oh, One no. more time. Languidly, etc.